In a kingdom full of talents, I must admit I got the bare minimum uh, when it comes to singing. And so whatever the minimum amount of talents can be bestowed on a Christian, that's what I got. And I'm fine with that. I'm definitely fine with it. Uh, If anything, I'm blessed by it. Uh, Because one of the things I thoroughly enjoy doing is sitting up front like that. And I do my best, but I love listening to your voices. I especially love listening to your voices on mornings like this morning. Uh, If you notice the song selection that David had, they're... Yeah, I don't know what the right word is anymore, traditional, old, old-fashioned, I, I don't know what they are, well-used, I, I, whatever you want to say. I love those songs. And, and the reason I love them, it's kind of an odd reason, but as I listen to beautiful voices, whenever those songs are sung, I tend to hear different voices than I hear on some of the others. Some of you were born and raised, and you've sung nothing but those songs. And you, you don't know it, but bless you for doing it, but you tend to sing just a little bit louder. And I just want to thank you this morning for your voices in so many ways and in so many fashions. One of my fondest memories of first grade was the weekly reader. I don't know if they still have that or anything like that, but I love the weekly reader. Once a week, we get that little weekly reader come out, and that was sort of our little window into the world. And it would be you know, something, you know, some current events or something like that, and we would read through that. And you know, we would talk about it. I, it that was just such a wonderful thing. And I, I still even remember some of the very lessons that we talked about and some of the things, some of the world events that we looked at kind of through the prism of the weekly reader. I remember one in particular, and we read about it, and we talked about it, and it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that it really just sort of hit me in the forehead. I was out on the back porch, and we had a, we had a screen door on our porch, and I was doing something, playing or anything like that, and it wasn't like I was eavesdropping. My parents were just talking louder than they probably should have, you know, for the situation, and, and I was kind of overhearing, unintentionally, of course, and, you know, Dad, who was a... He was a navigator in the Air Force at the time, and he was talking about he was going to be gone for, you know, a couple of months, and and I knew that, and and I was listening to him talk about where he was going to go and some of the things that they were going to do, and it just kind of, you know, blah, blah, whatever, as long as I get a surprise when he gets back, it's kind of, and then all of a sudden, he said two words that just, I froze in my tracks, Bermuda Triangle. Because we had studied about that in the weekly reader. And we had talked about all the planes that were missing and the ships that had vanished from the beginning of time and just everything that goes on in that that little triangle there in the seas. And and he was talking about how they were going to fly this, that, and they were going to fly over it and through it and around it a couple, two, three times. And I, I, I was froze. My father is going to intentionally fly to the Bermuda Triangle. This is unacceptable. I mean, it, it bothered me. And all I could think about was, Dad's going to get lost. Dad's plane is going to go down. And I, it's maybe silly, but, you know, I, Dad and I had to talk about it. Now, you've got to understand, and, you know, my dad had a different way of looking at things, and he certainly brought 
realism into things, and I've always thanked him for that, and, and certainly some of the lessons that I've learned and some of the things that he taught me, maybe prematurely by some good parenting standards, but, you know, he sort of wove those in, and, and as we talked about it, and I just said, Dad, you know, you, you can't do that, and I talked about all the planes and everything like that, and he opened up a map, and he said, Son, what you don't realize is, and he, and he showed it, and he drew it out on the map, this little bitty triangle called the Bermuda Triangle. He goes, son, I fly here, there, and I fly here, and there. There are so many other places I could vanish besides just the Bermuda Triangle. You guys don't get that. I mean, I just, like, panicked. And, and that was his way of saying, why are you worried about the Bermuda Triangle? On any given day, there's far more likelihood of me getting lost someplace else. And that, that was Dad's way of helping me cope with the stress of childhood and, and everything like that. And it's with that in mind that, you know, I've watched this week the accounts of Flight 370 and listened to the stories and imagined what it would be like to not know and to wonder how can a plane in this day and age be hidden. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. To Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to talk about hide-and-seek a little bit this morning, and, and we're going to talk about that, and we might as well go back to the very first game of, of hide-and-seek. But before I do it, uh, take note of this. If you're writing things down, uh, you might want to take a note of it. If you happen, if you happen to be one of these people uh, and you're watching this on the, uh, on the computer, you know, Alexis Flores, Fidel Urbina, Jason Derrick Brown, Glenn Stewart Godwin, Eduardo Ravello, Robert William Fisher, Victor Manuel Garina, Jose Manuel Garcia Guerrera, Simeon Moglovich, Walter Lee Williams. If you happen to know any of those, come see me later, uh, and we'll, I'll get to that in just a second. So here we are in Genesis chapter 3, hide and seek. It's one of the oldest games that we learned as a kid. It's one of the very first ones that we learned. You know, just a hide and seek. And, and the rules were very, very simple. You know, a group of people get together. In fact, there's, you can go on the website. There's official websites. You know, the rules of hide and seek, and I'll tell you what I know. You know a group of people get together. They decide someone is going to be the person who's the seeker. Everybody else gets to hide. And so the seeker is duty-bound to count to ten and recite, you know, ready or not, here I come, or however that goes. And everybody goes and they, they, they flock and, then, and they're trying not to get caught. They're trying not to get found. And then the person who's it comes and he finds them one by one and there's derivations of the game. And, and we all remember that. And if you remember and if you really think clearly about what happened on, during those games, there's a couple of things that, that you learned very quickly Early on in all of that, that translates to adult life, that translates to our spiritual life. And the first one is, it's stressful hiding. You remember that feeling. Whether you were under a table or behind the curtains. And that feeling that your heart would get. Remember that? As you tried to make your heart be quieter and everything. Because you'd see that person kind of walk around looking for you. And it didn't matter if you had a great hiding place or a horrible hiding place. When that person came walking around quietly, it was stressful. And it was all you could do just to not to make a sound. And the other thing, you know, so being the one hiding, it's very, very stressful. But the second 
and probably the most important thing, given enough time, everybody gets found. Given enough time and with someone who is seeking that really cares about it, oftentimes if I was the seeker, I'd lose interest real quick and just kind of go off and do something else. But given enough time in the game of hide-and-seek, everybody gets found. We would be remiss if we didn't turn to Psalms 139 here in just a little bit. Where David talked about, God, where can I possibly go? How high can I get that you're not there? How low can I get that you're not there? And that's God's nature and that's God's presence from the very beginning. But yet in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the very first game of hide and seek. In Genesis chapter 3, and we, and we know the story, and we talk about it as the fall of man, and we talk about it as you know the first sin and the original sin, and we, we talk about it in those contexts, and that's fine. But this morning, I want you to look at it. This was the very first game of hide and seek. And I want you to see just how horribly it worked for those that were trying to hide. Because the question that I've got for you this morning as we go through this, and we're going to look at several different games of hide and seek and how they turned out and what they tried to hide and how they tried to hide, the question for you this morning is, what are you hiding? How are you and are you trying to do everything you can to hide from God? In Genesis chapter 3, we understand the serpent was more crafty, and, and he goes through all of that. We see then that, that she ate of the fruit, then he ate of the fruit. And then in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now understand how this plays out. Now, and you just got to stop and think about just sort of how horribly the odds were against them. They're the only two people on the planet, okay, and they go missing. You know, so right away, they're not exactly bright, I mean, and not just because they ate of the tree, but they're not really good at hide-and-seek when you stop and think about it. I mean, they hid in the trees. I mean, but anyways, but they hid from God. And as God comes through there and God says in verse 9, where are you? Understand, that's not God's way of, of asking, where is everybody? That's not God's response to, you know, I'm counting to ten, come out, come out wherever you are. Or ready or not, here I come. No, no, that's the words of a God who knows exactly where they are. Exactly what they did. Exactly the amount of shame that they have in their heart. And God says, where are you? And look at what they said. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Now remember, as you look at this story, at the time that they get found, at the time they actually hid, they weren't naked anymore. They had made the coverings out of fig leaves and everything like that. But their shame. And they thought somehow they can hide from God. Somehow that they could do this. And, and we look at this story and it's so ridiculous to us that they would even try it. And it's not even ridiculous to us if you skip ahead to the book of Job. Job even talks about this story. 
When Job talks about it, and he looks at that in Job chapter 31, verse 33, and in all of chapter 31, Job talks about his life, and Job talks about his integrity. And Job looks, and he really struggles with, why is all of this happening to me? Even Job thought that first game of hide-and-seek was ridiculous as he talked about it because he said, have I tried to hide my sins from thee the way Adam did? And so as Job rails against on all the things that he's done right and all the things he's done, even for the sins that he can't possibly, you know, that he doesn't really understand and doesn't really see, he can't articulate, he at least looks and he says, have I hidden those sins? Have I tried to hide from thee the way that Adam did? That's just how horrible and how pathetic that first game of hide-and-seek went. Skip on over to Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, we're going to see another game of hide-and-seek. Now, this one takes on a, a little more gruesome tone to it because we're not hiding live bodies with this one. In Exodus chapter 2, we read the story about Moses. And we understand the story about Moses. He's you know, cute little kid. He gets too big, so he puts him in the little thing, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and everything like that. And we read about that he, how he grew up. In verse 11, chapter 2, and it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, he went out to his brethren and he looked on their hard labors. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. How that worked. And we saw there was no one around. He struck down the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian. And we know that. But the part that I always tend to forget to read is that next part, he hid him in the sand. So not only did he kill the Egyptian, but on behalf of the Egyptian, he began to play this game of hide and seek. And he hid the body in the sand. I mean, by all accounts, Moses was the very first gangster. I mean, it, you know, it was kind of a thing where he just he killed somebody, dug the hole, tried to bury him. Tried to hide the body. And in doing so, hide what he had done and cover up all that he had done. But look what happens. Remember, you know, the, the two cornerstone learnings from hide and seek. Number one, hiding is stressful. But number two, given enough time, you'll always get found. Verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely this matter has become known. In fact, we come down to verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. You know, we sort of describe it as Moses just kind of got out while the getting was good. No, the Bible specifically says right here, Pharaoh found out. And with that, Moses began to flee. It's always stressful to hide. And you will always, always eventually get caught. How many of you recognize any of those ten names that I rattled off earlier? None of you? You want me to go through them again? That, if you go to the website, is the FBI's 10 most wanted as of this morning. And actually, Walter Lee Williams got caught, so we're down to nine. 
So we'll have to elevate some thief, burglar somewhere up so we get 10. And I tell you that because what to me was absolutely fascinating is that if you look from the beginning, you know, when they had the 10 most wanted to today, their batting average is right about 95%. Depending on the year, it's anywhere between 92 and 95% of the people that are on the FBI's top 10 most wanted get caught. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I mean that's real good. But, I mean, then again, they're offering a million dollars for this one and a half a million dollars for that one, and... I guarantee you for half a million dollars, I'll find somebody named Alexis Flores, you know, one way or the other. But 95%. And so the question for us, spiritually speaking, is if man, flawed and ignorant as we are, if we can find 95%, what makes us think spiritually that we can possibly hide from God? If only 5% of the top, brightest, most ruthless criminals in this country even have a mathematical chance of going uncaught, how do we think that we are going to escape the knowledge and the presence of God? But yet this game of hide-and-seek continues. Go back to Genesis chapter 20. Abraham played a little game of hide-and-seek. It was a little bit different. He wasn't trying to hide himself, but what he did try to hide was his wife as he tried to introduce Sarah as his sister. And again, look at the stress and look at the certainty of getting caught. So turn over to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is one that we're, you know, pretty familiar with as we read about Achan. Now, Achan didn't try to hide himself, but what Achan did try to hide was just a very small bit of the spoils from the battle there at Jericho. God told them, you take everything, you know, whatever gets, you, you hold back nothing personally. You know, everything gets destroyed. We'll get to hang on to a couple of things, you know, as it pertains to the work of what needs to go on. But people are not to hang on to every, anything. And it says, chapter 7, verse 1, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebedi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, the neat thing, the humbling thing about this game of hide-and-seek is the way that the verse starts out. Because not only in this case, because in the examples that we've read about, the people playing the game of hide-and-seek were really the ones affected. In chapter 7, verse 1, what the Bible tells us is now all of Israel is going to get punished because of this game of hide-and-seek. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. As God looked at the entire group that came up out of Egypt, that crossed over into this new land, he rendered them, he described them all as having acted unfaithfully. Why? Because one family played a game of hide-and-seek. And so as we learn this, as we understand that, it isn't just about getting caught. It isn't just about the stress of trying to stay hidden. It's the fact that some of these games of hide and seek affect more people than just ourselves. And this morning, there may be things that you're hiding from. There may be things that you're trying to hide from God, from others, maybe even from yourself. 
And what you need to understand is sometimes that game of hide-and-seek impacts marriages, impacts families, impacts relationships. I guess we got to talk about Jonah, don't we? I mean, that was another horrible game of hide-and-seek. Not only did he not play it real well, not only did he play it against God, but he fell asleep. I mean, if there's anything you learn about hiding, you don't fall asleep. You never fall asleep, but he tried that too. God wanted him to go this way. He went that way. And assumed somehow in the, the freight section of a ship, God might not see him. And the game of hide-and-seek might at least last until he gets to the shore. It didn't quite work out that way. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, we see another horrible game of hide-and-seek. Ananias and Sapphira thought they were going to hide. They held back. Now understand during this time, everybody, everything was communal. And the Bible talks about one of the great encouraging words that we read about the first century Christians was the fact that they never regarded things as things that they owned themselves. They didn't look at things as that is their property, that is their personal property, but it's all for the Lord and it's all for the church. But Ananias and Sapphira held back just a little bit. We don't know how much. It just says a sum of money. We don't know how significant, we don't even know how relevant from a financial standpoint their withholding was or anything like that, but what we know is God was displeased. That they tried to play the hide-and-seek game with God, and they lost. And so we talk about the stress of hiding, and we talk about the fact that you will get found And we talk about, you know, the certainty of it and how it affects others. But the other thing that we could do as we go through this hide-and-seek game throughout the entire Bible is one of the things I want you to notice, though, the blessing of being found. The absolute glory that comes with being found. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We can just park there for just a little bit. Excuse me. In Luke chapter 15, we look at all the various things. And and the whole point of Luke chapter 15 is to understand the love of the Father and the lengths to which the Father will go through and the patience of the Father and and, and everything the Father will go through to redeem the lost and how we don't want anybody lost. Remember, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And another word for lost is simply saying that which is, you know, sort of hidden from the presence of God because of sin. And he talks this in chapter 5. And look at these wonderful examples. Because so many times when we talk about hide and seek, and we talk about, you know, it's easy to look at people like like Adam or like Moses or Abraham or, or Achan or any of those others, and it's easy to just kind of thump our fist and talk about don't try to hide from God. And that's true. But the flip side of that is look at the blessing of being found. Because there are times when we can identify ourselves with Adam. We're trying to hide something. We can identify ourselves with Moses. We've done something. We can identify ourselves with Achan. We've taken something. 
But I tell you what, this morning, what I want you to do is try to identify yourself with sheep. Not the 99 sheep that are there in the pasture, but that one sheep the Bible talks about they didn't found. What a man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Look how he comes back. And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. If there is great wonder and joy and excitement... In a sheep on the shoulder of a shepherd, how much more so isn't there? The Bible teaches us. For those that are hidden to be found. In verse 8, he talks about a lost coin. You know, ten coins but loses one. And the woman looks carefully until she finds it. And that which was once hidden is now found. And look at the excitement and the glory and the joy that comes. And she says, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that was lost. I have found the coin that has been hidden. And then we read the story about the prodigal son. And we read the story about the son who intentionally wanted, you know, he just wanted to leave. He wanted to go do bad things. He didn't want to be told what to do. He wanted to go kind of live this life that he thought was going to be so much better, so much more exciting. And he hid himself from his father. Father didn't know where he was, didn't know what he was doing. But when he comes back, when he's no longer hidden, and keep in mind, you know, he's, he's less lost and more kind of hidden because he was trying to get away from his father. But look at the blessing, look at the glory, look at the joy the Bible talks about in that which was once lost, that which was once hidden, being found. So this morning, you know, the question is very, very simple. If you look on your outline this morning, you're probably assuming that the sermon title has nothing to do with the sermon. You're wrong. I'm just not real good at sermon titles, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's... And I gave that sermon title just kind of tongue-in-cheek because if there are three words that can be said from this pulpit that so radically change the behavior of everybody in here, it's those three words. In fact, I don't even really want to say them because you're conditioned to do different things. I mean, the minute I go, I say stand and sing, half of them you'll stand up. You know, back in the day you'd have grabbed a book. But this morning I want you to think very, very carefully about those three words. Stand and sing. And I want you to think because throughout the beginning of the Bible, through the end and on until now, whether those three words are, are spoken you know, specifically, or whether they're implied, from the very, very beginning, God's people have received his word and have been asked to respond. From the very beginning, his prophets went and spoke about things. They spoke about repentance. They spoke about love. They spoke about dedication. They spoke about consecration. They spoke about all kinds of obedience. They spoke about the love of God. 
Moses, time and time again, as he brought forth the message from God off the mountain, said, this is what God asks of you. And he didn't use the word stand and sing, but they were asked to make a response. They were asked to choose. Jesus encountered people time and time again where he would give them a lesson. And he wouldn't necessarily say stand and sing, but the expectation was follow me. He spoke to a rich young ruler who was asked to stand and sing, and he walked away. This morning, I want you to think very, very carefully about these three words. And I want you to ask yourself, are you found or are you hidden? Why this morning do you continue to hide from God? It is a very, very sad thing that a flight went down in the middle of an ocean and we don't know what happened. I think it's horrible. But I'm talking to you guys this morning. And I think the only thing, or one of the things more horrible than a plane that crashes would be if this morning you continue to try to hide from God. Won't you come be found while together we stand and sing?